everyone, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the Rumcast. I am John Gullah, here with Will Hookinga, and we are the co-hosts of this podcast that talk about all things rum-related with the people who love and shape it. We have another great interview lined up for today with the cocktail wonk himself, Mr. Matt Petrick, who generously gave us the exclusive first chance to speak with him about a brand new book on rum that he and his wife, Carrie Smith, are releasing titled Modern Caribbean Rum. But first, Will, how are things going in Nashville for you this time of year? They're good, John. You know, uh, the leaves are changing colors. It's getting a little crisper outside. We have these things called seasons up here that <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've heard of them down there in Miami. But I think we make this joke annually now, <laughs> I do, I, <laughs> but it's I still do. relevant. <laughs> it's, you know, the changing of seasons is the time for traditions. So that's what we do here on the Rumcast. But yeah. I'm doing well. I wanted to quickly revisit something from a few episodes back. Uh, listeners will probably remember we had our first ever rumcast fantasy rum draft a few episodes ago and i think everyone will also remember those results where i had the resounding year one victory based on the voting of uh, well over a hundred uh, listeners out there now but there was one voting submission that uh, was particularly different that i wanted to highlight really qu- quickly here at the top of the show because the outcome was a little bit different so yeah. past rumcast guest friend of the podcast lance sewers bali of the loancaner.com he took things to the next level as uh, as he often does as he is wont to do yeah yes he didn't settle for just voting via the google form that everyone else did he made his own spreadsheet with each of our picks all categorized and then he went in and plugged in the scores he had given every rum that we selected on his website the lone caner from reviews and he had scores for every single rum that we picked some of which he hasn't reviewed yet but he has scored so anyway the results were super interesting in that you won the majority of the categories like you you had the higher Mm. score on the majority of the categories but my picks had the higher average score. So my average score was 84. Yours was 83. So by a nose, I yeah. won the averages, but you won the amount of categories, which I thought was interesting and which just goes to show, you know, even though the results looked a little lopsided, it, it was closer than, than that might have seen. A razor's yeah. edge. Never miss an opportunity to bring up that win again, do you, Will? <laughs> I just, you know, it's a it's it's a great little spreadsheet. I'll uh, I'll I'll publish a screenshot of the spreadsheet uh, on on the the website for yeah. uh, the the post for this episode. So. It was very cool to see him do that. Uh, very very um, uh, wonkish. It was uh, you know, very wonkish. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's by, on on theme for this episode. Yeah, so I was you, to say. By the way, um, did you know the definition of a wonk prior to this? Because I'm gonna I did. Be, I'm gonna be embarrassed to tell you that I, I kind of knew the idea of it, but uh-huh. like not the specifics. Right. Uh, so I, I actually had to look it up. <laughs> it was something I'd always heard associated with kind of like political commentary and stuff like that. So it right. was a word I was familiar with. Yeah. Right, right. Which is in the definition, right? I, right. I, this this word stuff is on brand for me as well right now because I've recently become obsessed with the New York Times crossword puzzle, which is oh. something I've never been into historically. And I started doing them a few weeks ago, and I was absolutely horrible at them. I thought I was the stupidest person alive. I'm glad to say that persistence has paid off. And this week, I've completed every single 
crossword puzzle of the week and they get progressively harder so yesterday i finished my first ever saturday and i'm just like on cloud nine right now and i've also noticed there's quite a few clues where rum knowledge comes in handy there was one clue that was about it was like sure refinery byproduct and i was like boom molasses molasses and then there was another one that i think it was bacardi when in mexico and i was like ron ah and that was exactly right so rum knowledge coming into play but you know all that's neither here nor there uh just had to if there are any other crossword geeks out there send send me an email because i'd I'd love to geek out on it with you or wonk out i should say but anyway how have you been john i'm doing okay and uh thankful uh for a lot of opportunities to share uh some of my rum collection recently actually oh yeah so yeah we had some uh people over this week and uh my wife's extended family and wonderful people uh, many of whom are hispanic or latin in Mm -hmm. their background primarily spanish speaking so okay you know i have to sharpen up on my my language skills a little bit also uh in order to share with them but this isn't the first time i've I've met them we've met them and and talked about rum in other households in the area in miami and this is the first time they came to our house. So, of course, I was very enthused to share because we had talked about rum, you know, and and shared some Bacardi, which was in another person's house uh, last time. But I wanted to share some of my collection with them. So as you might imagine, as I'm I'm working through my, you know, broken Spanish slash, you know, they also speak a little bit English. So it was this kind of, you know, back and forth. Uh And I poured them some of the Samaroli Caribbean blend I've talked about on the show here before, uh, which is primarily Cuban, Cuban, uh primarily Cuban rum, column distilled, no added sugar, and one mm-hmm. I really enjoy. So I poured this for them, and well, I, <laughs> it was interesting. They were very polite. <laughs> uh, they expressed that they could taste the quality of the spirit as uh-huh. I was talking about it. Um, but their main feedback was that it was both very dry and hot. Okay. And so it's only 43%, I say oh, wow. only for us. Yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm not sure they really enjoyed it. Wow. Well, so I was thinking about this and, and they, as they were telling me, I'm thinking, you know, the, given their kind of cultural background, they're looking for something sweeter. So I was given the opportunity later to try to, you know, let's go with one more. And I'm looking for something in my cabinet that I knew is sweeter, which, of course, I don't have a whole lot of. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I also didn't want to just try to find something that's kind of the lowest common denominator either. Right. Um, something different. So I had a bottle in way in the back of Plantations Peru 2010. Okay. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with that one, Will. That one's uh, finished in Pinot de Charente casks. Maybe I tried that at yeah. some time or another. Okay. And I know that one's dosed some. I think it's eight grams per liter. And I figured maybe that's something that is a little on the sweeter side, but not super sweet that I could get them hooked on. Um, so I poured that. I talked about it a little bit. Very interested in that one. And well... <laughs> That one didn't really fly with them either. Okay. I utterly Maybe rum is not for them. (laughs) Well, no, but here's the thing. They expressed a love for rum. But again, I wanted to go back. And the reason I wanted to kind of talk about this with you is just a little bit of number one. You know, I I totally flunked here. I failed this test Uh uh, because I just didn't I didn't get there with them to try to bring them to some different styles of rum uh, from where I knew their background was uh, with it. And, And two is that they're perception of what they wanted in a rum was they wanted it sweeter uh-huh and i i mean far sweeter really so and that's not something that should be unknown to us right because you know there are people out there that they want their rum to be dessert sweet mm-hmm. um so 
you know, that that was just a kind of an eye opener for me, I guess, in a little bit. I'm still digesting it because it was literally last night. So I was thinking about like, man, how could I have done a better job of maybe getting them something that they would enjoy, but also kind of exploring the space a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously you don't have everything in your collection that you would want at, at every given time. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I was just kind of still trying to process and digest how how that went. It wasn't like awful. I mean, they were very nice about it, but you yeah. could tell that they didn't get there. So yeah, so I, I'm still... It, sa- uh, it saddens me slightly, I won't lie. Just yeah. because, I mean, I, I feel like... Um, if, if your experience with rum is is to the extent to where it's like so sweet that even when you have a rum that is lightly sweetened, mm-hmm. it doesn't taste right to you. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's the side of it that also is kind of like, uh, you know, it just kind of like deflates yeah. me a little bit. And yeah. if, if your perception of rum is, is so heavily sweetened and, and I, you know, I, I don't know the, the friends you're talking to and, um, maybe it was just a case that like it wasn't just the sweetness. They just didn't like those rums. You know, that's possible too. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like when you are so into rum and you want people to like it and it's like they need it so sweet. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the only other thing I pointed to in my head uh, that night was I'm giving them a neat spirit and okay. maybe, you know, like in a, in a Glencairn. And uh-huh. that's the way I enjoy it. So I've tried to push that, you know, to them to to really get the, the essence of the spirit rather than, you know, anything else. But I maybe, I, number one, I should have asked them if they wanted it on the rocks. Okay. And I did oh, not so you do don't know that. if they are like neat spirit drinkers? Well, I mean, they said they were. And again, going back to my experience previously with them, we had done that with some Bacardi. Okay. And they were fine. So that's part of it maybe as well. And I can't remember what the ABV on the Peru is, but I want to say it's also was higher than 40%. Um, so maybe it's that combined with being neat and just, you know, not sweetened uh, mm-hmm. as much that maybe did it. But uh, again, n- nothing. It, was, it wasn't like a total destruction, like this is swill and garbage and like I can't even finish it yeah. type of thing. It was just more like you could tell that this wasn't for them. And that did, like you said, it was. It, it saddened me a little bit. I'm j- I guess I'm just searching at this point for it. Well, I mean, you try. You gave them two rums and I didn't like them. I mean, it, that's yeah. not a huge that's deal fair. at the end of the day. That's fair. I didn't have too many cracks at it either, just two. So, But yeah, so anyways, I, you know, I thought it was interesting, not only from that perspective of uh, trying to get rums to different people, but also because of the categorizations of rums and even the diversity of rums, even within the Caribbean. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like that's as good a segue as any here to, to shifting to talk about Matt's new book. And uh, I know we were excited to talk to him about well, it. Well, I don't even know. I don't think Peru would qualify for his new book if I'm that's remembering my maps correctly well i was thinking cuba but you're right i forgot peru doesn't count for that (laughs) so yeah on on that note matt's new book is called modern caribbean rum and i think the the subtitle really is gives a a very accurate description of what the book is it's a contemporary reference to the region's essential spirit so my understanding of the book, I haven't read the book. Matt sent me a few samples going in. It's coming out uh, the week that we will release this episode. So you'll be able to get it. Um, we'll put links into the sh- in the show notes to where you can find it and all that good stuff. But it's essentially a snapshot of the standing of rum throughout the Caribbean right now. So what's out there, how it's made, a little bit of background information. But Matt is very clear that this is not a history book. But I, I think what it's going to serve as for, for decades to come is like if you want to know what 
the state of Caribbean rum was like around this time period right now. Mm -hmm. This will tell you just about everything you need to know. It's uh, 850 pages. And what, like we were just saying there, the focus is Caribbean rum. As, as Matt gets into in the interview, if it was all rum, it probably would have been 2,000 pages or something like that. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm really excited to get my hands on it. I know, I, you know we've said on the podcast many times that his website, Cocktail Wonk, is kind of an essential rum uh, reference for us all the time. You know, anytime I'm interviewing someone from somewhere, if he has written about that place, I'm going, I'm, I'm reading back through all the articles. Half the time that I need to remember or you know, something like, you know, which mark comes from which distillery, I'm always going to his website. So it's, it's really this kind of invaluable rum reference for everyone in the rum world. And I think this book is going to be that taken, you know, up several notches. Yeah, I, I love the we, we got to see a couple of preview pages of it. Uh, and it looks fantastic, both in the layout of it, and also just the, the depth uh, and the extent of the information yeah. uh, for each of the distilleries seems fantastic. So I like you can't wait to, to get one uh, and, and rifle through it and then start reading in depth. Yeah. And, and as you were saying, there's tons of photographs and things like that. So yeah, I really just think it's going to be one of those books that when people want to know about more about rum, you recommend it to them. So I'm, I'm excited to, to get a copy. And in the interview, Matt really took us into the whole the making of the book um, and, you know, tons of uh, fascinating little snippets about the research process and everything. And also a little bit just about his own story. If So if you're not familiar with how Matt got started mm -hmm. writing about rum and, and kind of went from having a career, a long career in software to now a full-time career in, in rum. It's, it's pretty interesting stuff. So I'm excited for people to hear this and to check out the book. Yeah, same here. So why don't we take a very short break and we'll see you on the other side with Matt. Hey, Rumcasters, this episode of the show is sponsored by Down Island Spirits, a brand new independent rum bottler that has just launched the first releases in its single cask rum series in the US. The founders of Down Island Spirits started the brand to solve a problem many of us rum enthusiasts are all too familiar with. So many of the incredible rums they encountered while traveling the Caribbean for the past 25 years were sadly not available back home. Down Island's single cask rum series aims to change that. You can check out and order the initial four releases at downislandspirits.com. These releases include everything from a 20-year-old 100% pot still rum distilled at Foursquare Distillery in Barbados to big, bold rums distilled at some of our favorite Jamaican distilleries. Oh, and one more thing, they're all cask strength and they're all free of additives. So again, go to downislandspirits.com to order yours now. And while you're at it, follow them on Instagram and Facebook to keep up with future releases. Now back to the show. All right, we are here finally with Matt Petrick of cocktailwonk.com. Matt, I feel like it maybe might have been as long as two years ago that I was first like, hey, you should come on the podcast sometime. Yeah. You know, what have you what have you got going on? What are you working on that's uh, that, that's exciting that would be fun to talk about? Because I knew you're always up to something new. And you kind of mentioned that you were working on a book. 
and it sounded like it was going to be a big deal, a very big book. And I guess around two years have gone by, 850 pages later, uh, you're ready (laughs) to share with the world what's been consuming a lot of your time for the past couple of years, or maybe longer than that. I don't know if you were working on it before that as well, but I know you're waiting on the first copies to arrive. You were just telling us about that before we started recording. How does it feel to finally be at this point of being done, essentially, with the actual working on the book? Now comes like the other side of the thing, which is spreading the word, getting people to buy the book and everything. But how does it feel to, to be done with the writing and get to talk about it? Well, well, hey, hey, well, first off, thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. Of course, it's, of course. It's, it has been a while and so I'm <laughs> glad I'm finally able to do this. Um, uh, I was I was actually done pretty much at the end of August. We, we set a target date to the end of July. And of course, nothing runs exactly according to plan. But by end of August, uh, both me and, and my wife, Carrie, who's co-author, we were we were done. I mean, I kind of, I sort of, I fin- actually finished writing it last uh, December, December 30th of last year. Like mm. I said, there's no more chapters. There's no more, no more uh, creating to do. It's now entirely polishing them up. And that, and that polishing it up took half a year. What, what, did you yeah. have a hard deadline of yourself? Like, I'm going to be done writing by the end of 2021? That's I probably want, what it was, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to be done. And, and dang it, when I hit it, they said it was, it was something I started three years ago. I mean, planning seven years ago and started writing an artist three years ago after we arrived here in New Orleans. Uh, we had just launched Minimal's Tiki and now it's like, okay, that's out there. We're selling that. Time to start the, you know, time to start to rumble. And I was going to um, say, did yeah, you I, take it, like a, a breath in between <laughs> finishing that yeah, book and getting I, it one, out? Yeah, and... yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it's true. We act, I mean, in the sense that promoting and shipping Minimal's Tiki was sort of like, it's not, it's not mentally taxing, you know, sort of work and packing boxes and all that kind of stuff. But it was sort of like, there was no mental energy going into that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I sort of took took some time, and I you know, and I had an old outline from a few years prior, and and basically took it out, revised it, and I, you know, and at that point, I was like, I thought I knew how to write this seven years ago, and I didn't. There was so much work, <laughs> you know, and and you know, throughout the process, it's been like, oh, uh, I had no idea about that because that goes in, and so I think by the end of but, you know, as we got into 2020, um, right as the pandemic was starting, I had started, I was like, okay, I've got, I've got more here that I, than I know what to do with. And so I started like clamping them down, no more adding anything to it. And, uh, <laughs> and we still blew way well past page cow we were shooting for. So, yeah. so yeah. Uh, but yeah, but like I said, it was, it was six months of, of just like all the little things, editing, re-editing, I've read it so many times yeah. and, and getting other people, you know, editors involved and, and getting domain experts to do the final reviews. I mean, I tried to do that a lot as we were going, as I was finishing a chapter, but that doesn't always work. And so there was like, you know, like at the end, it's like, okay, I have all these chapters. Like, let's get this person to read these four chapters and this person to read these three chapters. And then and I think we'll probably talk about this later, but just like the photo editing and yeah. the selection mm-hmm. and like, like, oh crap, we don't have a photo for this. How can we get one? It was it was still it was a it was still a creative scramble, even though yeah. even though it was no longer writing it. But yes, come uh, like August 31st, it was like weird. The moment when we sent it off in printer, 
with the first of, of three very large payments to print it, it was, it was an enormous sigh of relief. So yeah, a sigh and a gulp, huh? <laughs> yeah, a yeah, sigh and sure. a gulp. So like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, we, we knew how much it cost to print minimalist Tiki. And this was like, like, wow, we, we couldn't buy a pretty nice car for one dollar. <laughs> you said <send> me <laughs> get this printed. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, but it, it was a leap. So, and we're actually printing more the first time around than yeah. for Minimalist Tiki. You said 850 pages. I don't think most people read that much in a few years, and you're writing that. That's a that's a pretty big volume, too, so you're printing yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah it's 850 pages and, and, you know, and 950 images throughout it, wow. but it's not a picture book. Um, I don't want anybody to think, like, oh, it's just all pictures. Like, no, there's... Mm -hmm. I count it, there's 174,000 words wow. in this thing. <laughs> and so... Um, it's about, it's about 300 words a page. So, and I know it's that count because I literally, once, once it was all assembled, I took it on, I took the PDF, ex uh, exported it to Microsoft Word, and then spell checked 174,000 words. <laughs> yeah. Off word. A lot of ignore alls, I bet. Ignore, there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of add to dictionaries, ignore alls. Uh, it was, it, yeah, yeah, it ran, ran grammarly across it. Yeah. We had other professional editors, and yeah, it's, I, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of a lot of writing. You know, it's, it's surprising some of the chapters I thought would be super long aren't, and some of the ones that I didn't think were long are going to be like, wow, there's fifty pages on this. Who knew? So yeah, well, I know we're going to talk a lot more about that, but I wanted to kind of take a, a a journey back in time first a little bit yeah. as we're talking to you, and I think most of our listeners for sure are going to know you and what you do, but probably may not know. Uh, that once upon a time, you were a software engineer for Microsoft and a few other companies. And I just have this image. I'm thinking, like, how did you make the transition from what sounds to me like a very straightforward and like conservative desk job to wearing tiki shirts every day, jetting from country to country and obsessing over rum and writing about it? We need we need the origin story. Yeah, yeah. that origin. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the origin story, I would say, is that I started working for Microsoft in 2004 and, you know, I, I was in software for 30 years. And, you know, started back in the late eighties in, you know, a lot of the origin story back in 90, from 93 to 96, I actually wrote two and a half books on how Windows, the internals of Microsoft Windows. How Those actually story. still come up on, on Google. If you do yeah, some Googling really from Matt Petrick. I just, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine a further topic from like rum than like Microsoft Windows. So, so <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I, so uh, it was, it was there. I sort of got this notion of like. Well, hey, there's this, you know, window, window, if you're programming windows, you call functions to do things. And you're like, well, that didn't work the way I expected. Why not? You're like, well, you can either like, I don't know, or you can, you're like, well, let's go find out. You can literally, you could, there are ways to literally disassemble code, to literally take hmm. the binary files, rip them apart and, and look at the instructions. And they're like, oh, okay, now I see what it's doing. And I know that that was, that was from the beginning of my, like, if I don't know and nobody will tell me, I'm just going to go figure it out on my own. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. you know, so that was sort of my, my gig, you know, for many years with software. It's just like rip, rip it apart, see what's in there and then re-explain it to people in a, in a, in a understandable way. Gotcha. So yeah. And so I did that for a number of years. 
by 2004, I found myself at Microsoft and I met, you know, I had moved to Seattle. I met some friends, a couple of friends, and they were making cocktails and it was like, you know, nothing super amazing, but you're like, wow, you have your glasses in the freezer. Uh, you have good eyes. Like when you, when you go to make a daiquiri, you're not taking out the bottle of wine juice, you're squeezing it. Oh, wow, that's kind of cool. I can do this. And, you know, and I started perfecting the greyhound, all things. But uh, I don't even know what a greyhound is. It's basically gin and grapefruit. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah. And I, but I, I sort of okay, intrigued by that. And in 2007, we bought a house uh, in overlooking Lake Washington and we had a little spot. I mean, there was a pool outside. So there was this little, in, right inside the door, kind of, there was this kind of an old, like 50s era bar, like metal countertops, metal shelves and a sink. And Carrie and I said, like, yeah, oh, kind of cool. Like, I'm sure it cocktails. Like, you could have this space. Right. Uh, if you have Minimal Stiki, there's actually a picture of it getting Minimal Stiki. And so, you know, it's maybe, I don't know, six feet wide, two feet deep. Got some nice wood counters over top. And like, well, this will be the most amazing bar I'll ever need. And as anybody with the rum collection knows, you soon blow past <laughs> that. And well, we blew past the rest oh, of yeah. how we poured it from bottles and now in, in the office. And yeah, you know, this. <laughs> uh-huh, so, uh-huh. but yeah, I started playing around there. And one of the things I found out is I like tiki drinks and I uh, love the Mai Tai. I love the origins of like love. I love the taste of the Mai Tai. Just some great romantic name, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. And then um, when we renovated, but when we renovated the house, uh, my wife Carrie had given me Jeff Barry's book. Uh, it was um, Sip and Safari, and I mm-hmm. read through it. And it's like, I'm, we're, we're living in an apartment waiting for the house to be put together, living in an apartment. I flipping through there, and I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know Tiki was actually invented like in LA and Oakland. Right. <laughs> and, and, and what are all these rums? It's like Demerara rum, Jamaican rum. And like, I don't see these at our state liquor stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So we can go travel and go somewhere else in the US, go to Europe, bring them back. Oh, here's the Jamaican rum. Let me bring them back. And so that started to be down that path. And then, you know, sort of grew and, and, you know, at some point Instagram comes along and start posting some photos or whatever. And somewhere in there, uh, my wife said, I love you, honey, but you need to stop telling me everything. You need to go <laughs> tell other people about that. And, 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 you know, like go write again. Cause I, you know, I've been, I'd written about windows and then written uh-huh. columns and all this kind of stuff. Go write mm-hmm. again. I'm like, no, I don't want it. And I thought about it and eventually like, okay, I'm not going to do it until I can have no, what, what makes me unique? What, what am I going to do different from other people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. Mm-hmm. And then like one night it sort of came to me as like cocktail walk. Oh, I'm going to do wonky stuff about cocktails. Right. Gonna, we're going to have fun with it. We're going to have recipes and explain things, but we're also going to have a sort of a geekier side. Mm-hmm. That's the walk. Cocktail. So that, that um, you know, started in circa 2013. You know, start putting articles up there. At some point, Rob and Tiki starts taking over more and more of, of the site. At some point, cocktail walk is really a rum block in disguise. But but yeah, that was sort of, you know, it sort of, I sort of grew into it, you know, for like friends sort of took me into it. And then the more I, the more I did it, the more I'm like, wait, there's things I don't know here about this. And mm-hmm. like, I remember one story in particular, uh, that, that sort of like, hold on a minute here was as I, there was this new rum, it was Denison's Merchants Reserve. Right. And, um, they got in contact, I somehow got in contact with the guy who'd started the brand and and we did a phone interview. It's like, oh, it's a big deal. Like, a brand owner is actually going to talk to me on the phone. Uh-huh, wow, uh-huh. I'm making a name for myself here. And um, 
we started chatting on the phone. He's telling me about it. Like, blend of rums from these distilleries. Like, oh, really? And go to stories. And he's like, well, you know, it's blended in Amsterdam by E&E Shear. Who? What? Yeah. He starts explaining it. And I'm like, well, hold up here. And, you know, and again, this was, this was one of those moments where you're like, okay, down the rabbit hole. Yep. So I'm, yeah. I'm full of him. I can't find anything online. Very little. And like, well, shit. Okay. How do I figure this out? Yeah. Uh, and I guess through my right, you know, in this particular case, through my writing, I just somehow um, got in contact with Carson from ENH year. And, and he said, next time you're over, um, you, we'll show you around. Stop on so by. So you get to point me over there quickly <laughs> thereafter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, it was just sort of, like I said, there's there's so much that when you, if once you start looking around, so much like, okay, there's no good yeah. explanation here. Yeah. There's very little sort of original first person or original source reporting on stuff. And I'm like, okay, I could do that. And, you know, that's sort of become my ethos ever since. At, at what point, I, you know, we always like to imagine that there's some specific moment where you're like, aha, I could <laughs> actually make a career out of this and do it for a living. Um, a lot of times it's not just one moment, but like around, like what was going on when you did start to think like, maybe I could, you know, yeah. transition out of working in software and work in rum all the time. Yeah. Good question. Um, I mean, I will, I'll, all credit goes to Peter Holland, Floating Rum Shack. That, ah, um, mm-hmm. so many guest, years ago, and he the was like, yeah, he was like, he was like, wait, you know, they're like, what's this? You're like, you know, he's Floating Rum Shack or whatever. And one day he's like, well, we're taking a leap. You know, whatever his words were, we're taking a leap. I'm, right. I'm going like, we don't know what the future holds. <laughs> but I'm like, man, I don't want to do that. So <laughs> but you know, I'm not quite old enough. We haven't saved enough money yet. You know, Seattle's expensive, mm-hmm. you know, but you're, you know, but it was sort of like that first inkling. I mean, you know, and we knew about Ian Burrell, but like yeah. he is a whole separate thing. Yeah. Like, no, this is a, you're like a fellow rum nerd like yeah. myself. To say, to go so it was that. envy that started. <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot. It was a lot envy, yeah. And, but at some point, you know, I it's like I kept going going and I'm like, Find myself like, you know, getting up in the morning, not thinking about what I want to do at work today, but thinking about what I'm going to do after work when yeah, I get off. Yeah. And that, you know, and, and my wife is traveling all the time. So, like, I had lots of evenings myself, and I can either go sit on the couch and watch movies, or I can go and keep researching and writing about Rob. And at some point, it was like, you know, it was, it was starting, I was starting around 2017 or so. I was like, man, this is like, I really don't want to go to work today. Like, I like, <laughs> like oh, what I'm doing is cool, but I really just want to stay home and research and write about rum. And then, um, yeah. And then it also point we, you know, in 2017, you know, my son passed away and that was sort of that inflection point of like, mm. well, we're not waiting around for anything anymore. We don't, not waiting for him to graduate college or anything like that. Like, well. My wife and I have ever looked at each other like, are we happy doing what we're doing? That's just something mm. we'd rather do. Yeah. And it was this moment, I think it was this moment of clarity where we said, we'd rather, like, we have we have lots of money, but we don't have the time to enjoy it. And yeah. so like, we can right. flip it around and say, we can have all the time we want and we don't have money, but like, maybe that's a better deal. And if we do it right, maybe we could find some sort of happy medium where... Yeah, we're not living, you know, the extravagant lifestyle like we were before, but damn it, like we get up when we want to, we do what we want to do. And I'll, I will tell you, I work harder than I've ever worked, <laughs> but it's, it's on my terms. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> because 
I want to do it because it's helping grow our company, our business or whatever. So, yeah, taking a leap like that, it's always interesting to hear how that comes about. And I guess what minimalist Tiki would have been just within a year or so. Was that 2018? Yeah. So what happened is my son passed away in 2017. By middle 2018, we had decided we were going to list our house for sale. We didn't know where we were going just yet. We didn't know we'd end up in New Orleans, but we know we'd go somewhere, put our house up for sale, put the rest of what, what we didn't want to store to put in moving mass, moved across the, the uh, water to, to Kingston, Washington. And within a week, I had started writing Minimalist Tiki and uh, we finished it. And we, you know, there was another project yet to be, which, which I don't tell you about yet. There's all in way of future, but another project <laughs> that in there I also did. It's floating around in there. Yeah. yeah. But six but six months later, uh, in April of twenty April twenty nineteen, we sent off the the manuscript to the publisher or to the um, to the printer. Uh we got in the car and we drove to New Orleans. But yeah. so yes, minimalist DT was a six month process. And we had I mean, we were lucky and now we had a good friend who was a graphics designer who knew how to use InDesign, who did most of the layout with Carrie watching her, basically learning from her. Hmm. So this time around, she did everything. So her wow. literally her first book she's ever done was wow. 850 pages. So <laughs> <That's> <laughs> all credit goes to her for that. So. Yeah, that's quite the project to start with. Um, yeah. And I, I guess in case people haven't picked up on it yet, I mean, Minimalistiki basically all self-published um, and you were alluding to with the new book, paying out all that money to go have it printed. You're not going through a big traditional publishing house for this and getting a big advance. It's more like literally like launching a product basically. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it was actually a guy named Chuck Calvary. So, you know, the whiskey, whiskey space. Chuck's so is an old, old uh, whiskey writer. And he was the one who told us like self-publishing is the way to go. And mm. You know, and I, and I had written books before. I had written them for for Windows. Yeah, and I looked around and like, you know, the the model hasn't changed much. That you know, for you know, basically the the publishing company pays you ten to fifteen percent of their wholesale price of the book. The wholesale price of the book is about fifty percent. Ten to fifty percent of fifty percent is around six or seven percent. Hmm. Guess what? For a thirty dollar book, you're going to make. A dollar eighty, and you're yeah. like, okay. So let's say it sells really well, it sells ten thousand copies. That's eighteen thousand dollars. But you work for a year on that, like, right? You yeah. know, I could have made more money working, at a, you know, on some some service job. So right. mm -hmm. that was a no. And so we we looked at the like the cost to to self publish. It was basically like you do everything. You literally do everything up to the point where you're like, here's a finished PDF that. This in printer ready format for these big commercial printers. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we're like, well, it's going to be a lot of money to print. But well, we've just sold our house. So we have some money. There you go. Uh, mm. It's an investment. And, and you know, we, we did it. And lo and then, like, once, once that happens, it's like they go to the printer and then they don't match. They go to customers. You get books back. Right. So, you know, it, uh, when, right after we moved to New Orleans, we got, we received 5,000 pounds of books on three pallets. Uh, needed to find storage space for them. And then we start selling it. And then, you know, and every day, like, oh, look, we got five orders. Okay, time to go put them in a box, put a label on it. Like, we do literally everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in exchange for that, like, more of the profit or most of the profit comes to us rather than going to publisher, Amazon, what have you. So, we're sort of took on a much larger task, but the financial reward 
has been much, much freer. So we've, yeah. we've, I, I will tell you that, that Carrie, Carrie, Carrie will openly admit that she thought we'd, we'd print 1500 copies and still have a thousand copies in the garage. Well, <laughs> you've gone through we multiple never, printings, we're right? Six printing now. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. so you know, it, it sort of proved it can be done, you know, yeah. you know, when we fight the, wait, I can't find your book on Amazon. I'm like, I know. So we, we can't afford to sell on Amazon, you know? But you know, we kind of, we, we, you know, the, the trick is that, you know, I've just sold media following and the connections where you're like, I can promote this book myself, that right. I don't need a publisher to go out there, you know, hire a publisher to go try to put it in a bookstore and then I forget to forget the promoter or whatever. It's like, no, right. it, the, the, these books succeed or fall entirely on our efforts. And so yeah. we're willing to take that risk. Well, on the note of the new book, um, which we should get around to discussing at some point, um, <laughs> it's called Modern Caribbean Rum. And the way I was thinking about this before we you know, set up this conversation and just based on what I knew about the book, I knew you had Minimalist Tiki, which obviously based on the title is very focused on tiki and cocktails. Although there is a really great section on rum in that book, kind of like how I've always told people historically that Smuggler's Cove is a great book, even if you just want to learn about rum because of the rum section. I felt similarly about Minimalist Tiki. This book, on the other hand, is entirely focused on rum. But I also think saying you have a book about rum can mean a lot of different things. There's tons of different aspects, styles, mm -hmm. countries you could explore. Um, we always talk about how rum is the world's most diverse spirit. You can find mm -hmm. it all over the place. So what did you choose to focus on with the book? And if, if, if you're introducing it to people, how do you explain the concept of it? The, well, the title, the title is very reflective of what was in the book. Um, uh, I said with the 850 pages, believe it or not, we had to filter down. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be even bigger than it was. Yeah. Uh, and so each word in the title is important. Um, first of all, modern. So it's, a, so it's a book about the modern rum industry. It's not a history book. Mm. There are elements of history in it. I, will, I use history to tell the story of today's rum industry, like how we got to this point. But context. it's not it's a true book. So it's not at all what, for example, like what Wayne Curtis's book is about or about mm -hmm. what Ian Williams book about. Not a history book. Uh, Caribbean, and I think I think that's the word people will gloss over, but it's Caribbean because that's the focus. There's certainly aspects of rum which are applied to all rum made no matter where. But really, it took me 850 pages to do justice to the Caribbean. <laughs> now, from when trying to do it in the United States and 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 elsewhere, you're like, like, oh, man. no, it, it, I would never finish this book. So yeah. it's definitely limited. You, you know, and there will be some people like, well, why is Mexico not in there? Why, uh, why is this country? Why is Australia? You know, Steve Magaris like, why well, is Australia not in there? Like, oh, <laughs> if you manifest Australia into the Caribbean, yeah, then yeah. But yeah, it's focused on on trivia, and um, then it's it's rum, and again, it's rum. It's not cachaça, mm -hmm. uh, clarin, it's not grog, it's not all these other things. Like again, I in no disrespect whatsoever to those other things, but again, scoping is already eight hundred fifty pages. So we had to deliberately say, like, we're not doing, we're not going to do Brazil cachaça. It's a great spirit. But it warrants its own book in and of itself. And we're not going to do, um, you know, like the, the Mexican King Spirits. We're not going to do America. We're not going to do Australia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
to focus on here. Um, with that in mind as well, this is also a very much unlike a book like, say, Fred Binnick's or Dave Froome's. Uh, I can tell you right now in that 850 pages, there are exactly zero tasting notes. <laughs> there are no reviews. There's no, how does this, how does this rum taste like whatever? Mm-hmm. It's intentionally, it's intentionally focused on the producers, the people making, the people in the companies making the rum, not the brands. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had to go around and around, you know, with a lot of the people who work for brands, like, you know, can you say, can you say this about the brand? And you're like, well, it's not really about the brand. Like, it's not really about El Dorado and how great El Dorado is and, or what's El Dorado's expressions. And like, you know, I love El Dorado, but it's not about that. It's about Demerara Distillers. And I'll say Demerara Distillers makes El Dorado Robin Diamond, but it's not about the El Dorado expression. And so with that said, the, about the first third or so of the book is kind of, is, is sort of, uh, this applies to all runs. So about the first 250 pages are applicable to everything. Mm-hmm. That uh, there's are, there are chapters on on rum history. There's chapters on fermentation. I'm sorry, source material. You talk a lot about sugar cane source material, fermentation, distillation, aging, blending, rum flavor science. Each gets their own dedicated chapter. So whereas in most most books, uh, I won't name any names, but most books they'll dedicate like maybe five pages or ten pages and cover right. rum making. In a, in within the context of a chapter, here we literally have like wait, I'm going to just do as much as makes sense on sugar cane, and we're going to talk about sugar cane breeding. You're going to talk about the difference between cane juice versus cane syrup versus molasses. Talking about high test molasses, we're going to talk about the chemistry of molasses. Mm-hmm. Same with fermentation. We're going to talk about about fermentation. We're going to talk about yeast varietals. We're going to talk about different fermentation techniques. We're going to talk about cane acid, dunder, muck, how they influence the flavor, like or chemist, chemically, what do they do? Yeah, the the level of detail that you'd find on topics on the various articles I've done on my site. I'm like, I'm going to take those and turn them up to eleven on each and every little individual topic. Right. And it's funny, if you think about it, I never actually wrote that much about rum making focused on like, here's the cocktail walk series on rum making. Right, and right. Part of that was because I'm like saving it for the book where I'm just going to do it all once and hopefully make a reference, mm, yeah. a reference guide. So that's the first, the first, you know, section, two sections there. And the third section, we kind of get into the business of rum, which very few people, very few books talk about. So we're going to talk about brands, talk about the difference between original producer brands, independent bottler brands, private label brands, why they're different, how, how some companies straddle this sort of thing. Um, how do you, how I, how do you identify which brand or what, you know, if you pick a brand, what style is it? And from that, you can kind of learn what to expect from this brand, what they, what you will see in their bottlings. Um, there's a chapter on, for example, uh, the West Indies Rum and Spirits Producers Association, which I, you know, am the community on the for. Mm-hmm. Um, a whole lot of history there about recent history that's actually incredibly valuable for knowing what happened to this rum over the last 30 or 40 years. And the yeah, story mm-hmm. has never really been told. And I was like really honored to to be able to tell that story. Um, this whole chapter on, um, basically I call it what, what you don't understand about Spanish heritage rum. Like something that a lot of people dump on the, you know, the Spanish heritage style. It's like, mm-hmm. well, it's not funky like Jamaican. It's not this. Like, yeah. It's not the gas strength. And it's like, Having having spent a lot of time looking at all aspects of production in Panama, Nicaragua, Venezuela, Cuba, Puerto Rico, um, you go like, oh, 
it actually, it's a thing. Like they have their way of making money. They have their tradition. They're not going to go chase something different. And there's a whole lot of stuff you don't understand about banner shared is rough. And I'm going to lay it all out there in a, in a consistent format. Uh, similarly, there's a chapter on the French, how the French, like, you know, we think of Martin Wild Luke. Uh, we don't really think, you know, at least here in America, we don't really think about Reunion Island, but yeah. Reunion Island outproduces Martinique or Guadeloupe. Wow. And that, you know, you start going like, you know, Martinique is, yeah, cane juice rum, but Guadeloupe is still making more molasses rum than cane juice rum. We're just not hearing about that molasses rum. And in fact, if you look at Reunion Island, Martinique, Guadeloupe together, the large majority of French rum made today is actually from molasses, but we think of it as cane juice. So sort of going behind the scenes there. And also the fact that um, they all have GIs or, you know, various levels of GIs. And like, you know what? They are all kind of similar. They're all kind of managed similarly. They all sort of under French government control. The whole chapter on that, like what you don't sort of going behind the scenes of the French rum industry. So you did venture a little bit outside of the Caribbean to talk a little about (laughs) reunion. Yeah. Just, just within the context of right, um, right, yeah, yeah. fair point. Uh, there's a very large chapter on rum regulations. When this book is out, I don't want to hear anybody ever again say that rum has no rules because I have <laughs> laid them all out for you over, I think, 50 pages, literally country by country, country, you know, regulation by regulation. There's charts. I've, I've dug up the GIs and the rum regulations for, pe- for countries people don't realize <laughs> had yeah. them. So there is an insane amount of, you know, background and GIs. standards. You should, um, you should take out just that chapter and publish a little miniature uh, guide to the rules of rum and just exactly. put that out there. Trust <laughs> so me, you I, can just I've hold that up as a book. And stick it onto the door of a, some certain distilleries. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, so yeah, like I said, it's, and there's more, I'm sure I'm forgetting chapter, but basically you get through all that. So that's like part three. And then part four, country by country, distillery by distillery. Yeah. Walking through... Um, if you've if you've seen any of my uh, read any of my cocktail along, like oh I went to Mount Gay and here's right. how Mount Gay makes their rum. Oh I went to out to you know Appleton here's how Appleton makes rum. Uh, it's literally that style that in depth sort of very production oriented. Each chapter each country is a chapter. So, you know Barbados, Jamaica, Trinidad, Guyana, Venezuela, Cuba, Puerto Rico, uh, Martinique, Guadeloupe. You know, twenty in total. Yeah, uh, as much as possible. I tried to not leave anybody out. A few, few countries, a few countries or islands didn't bother to get back to me whatsoever. But in general, f- over five hundred pages devoted to rum making in wow. the Caribbean. So seven over seventy distilleries have wow. some decent level of, of detail about them, yeah. with lots of photos and lots of lots of uh, so lots of photos and information. Even even the hardcore people will be surprised by. Did you have a specific format that you went country by country by? And did that create a challenge for you? Or were, were there more challenging countries or topics to kind of cover? So as a, as a former software guy, uh, this, you know, this is, I think in schema, like this is, you know, this is how we do it. Yeah, and, right, you know, right. I went a lot of effort to to um, standardize the information so that I wasn't giving in an incomplete picture. And it also, by having the standard format for what I was trying to do, it let, let me realize what I didn't know and that I should go find out. So like every every country, like every country's just the beginning of every country chapter has like list all the producers that I'm aware of that I can find information on and goes through a little bit about the country's history and their style of rum where applicable. And then each distillery also has a very consistent 
format where there's like mm-hmm. big picture to the story, uh, key information about the story, like who owns it, how much they make, how much rum they make every year, what their distillation type is, what source materials they work with. And then once you get into a particular distillery, there's always a background on the story in the company and then uh, and then the production part always right. goes through consistently right. like source material fermentation distillation aging blending bottling yeah. so i have i have this sort of pattern that repeats over and over again that let me right. let me so it's like like an element of index or reference even there because of that format and the ability to scan through those and do that i think it did, because it includes that now are we allowed to call it a tome is it a, is it officially uh, a tome? You, you, oh, whatever you'd like. <laughs> uh, it is, yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it is. I think, I think will be a reference for for yeah. a lot of. It's yeah. a, a big, you know, it's a heavy book, but but yeah, I want I wanted to make it fairly fairly easy to to somebody like oh I really want to know about about say, yeah. say you know Mount Gay's fermentation right. I know where to go to Barbados chapter I know where to go to Mount Gay I know to look at this section there it is what I'm looking forward to doing is I want to put it next I'm looking over here off to the side um, because it's sitting over there I want to put it next to Stefan Meyer's Coroni book and see which one is is bigger between his two volumes and your your one 850 page volume yeah. oh yeah so it's just funny actually like uh, my friends with Stefan and I and I have the Coroni book uh-huh. uh, I will say Stefan's is 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 physically larger and has more okay. pages. I will say I will say mine is the largest consumer rum book ever published. Whereas Stefan's is a great book, but it's focused on one distillery. Right. So, right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and yeah, and sort of, and it's also kind of a different different approach. Like Stefan, a lot of what's in the book is sort of like. You know, sort of, this is my journey to figuring right. out all the stuff about journey, yeah. and like yeah. here's all the independent modelers and and just and this breaking is breaking down every practical. bottle and everything like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Now, I'm, now one thing, one like I said, I thought the book. I'm happy to pay for the book. I was commiserating with Stefan because when he was going and he was in the final legs of getting it done, <laughs> we were chatting, and I'm like, I'm like four or five months behind you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. um but yeah, I'm very happy that we ended up with one volume. It's like if it would have been any, like we actually did think about splitting it up into two volumes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at some point, like when we when we rounded 600 pages, we're like, shit, we have, we're still <laughs> more to go. We're like, okay, <laughs> we're so there's literally <laughs> material we cut. There are chapters we cut from this book to keep it down to the mm. pages. So, so I, you know, you listed off a lot of the countries there. I think a lot of people will go into this book expecting to learn some interesting stuff about, you know, Jamaican rum, Barbados rum, Guyana, Martinique, like the, 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 the first kind of big countries, not by size, but just by rum reputation that you think of. Um, what, what are a few countries or maybe even rum making traditions that you think will be surprisingly fascinating to people, maybe places they don't know as much about or, haven't had as much rum from, but that are surprisingly interesting. So one of the, I mean, I'll sort of answer a related question uh, and on a way to the answer, probably the most difficult chapter was Cuba. Uh, yeah. Uh, they don't talk a whole lot and people yeah. are like, oh, well there's Havana club, right? And like, there's the Havana club, the story, that's, that's all I need to know, right? Wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so much more to the Cuban rum industry that people don't realize. And, or, and incorrecto, I mean, we would say. Yeah, I, 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 I was are, actually, 
I, yeah. I needed to look up some stuff about Havana Club the other day, and as I often do, found my way to your Havana Club article. And right. as I was going through it, I was just like, Jesus, this is so much more complicated than I thought mm. it would be. And yeah, and what I've learned is that article didn't even know <laughs> half of what I learned since then. <laughs> so like in the art, you know, in those articles, they'll talk about Cuberon. Like, okay, yeah, Cuberon. And you can go find a Cuberon site and you know, like, oh, here are the four distillers. Like, okay, now, like, oh, now I have insider information on Cuba, right? Wrong. <laughs> there, There's actually more like 10 or 12 distilleries. There's, there's sort of like a, com- not a competitor to Cuberon, but a whole separate entity that's also part of the Cuban government, but a different part of the Cuban government. Uh, and that it also has its own distilleries and that there's actually two other branches, two other ministries of Cuba, which don't make around, but they basically sell their sell brands that are made by the other two branches. So it's incredibly complicated. And, and I was very fortunate that Cuban government and some, somebody in the Cuban government doesn't know a whole lot about where not to put documents on the internet. <laughs> so I have some amazing spreadsheets that list like, here's here's the brands and here's which ministry of the government is responsible for it. I I ferreted out a ton of information from like, like local Cuban newspaper articles that I translated from Spanish into English, connecting the dots on stuff. Uh, it was there where I kind of learned about the notion of what's it called? Um, flema, which is very common in Spanish heritage rum. We just, again, something we don't know about, uh, but it's essentially, there are oftentimes uh, this crude distilleries, if you will, that it sometimes it makes more sense to literally just crudely distill your rum right next to the sugar mill. Like if you're a big, you know, mm. if you're a big mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, agro-industrial producer, like in, in Panama, for example, you can literally, and I'm not saying they do this per se, but they literally like, we can when like literally have, have picked molasses from the mill and basically run it through a still and get it to like, you know, 90% and then ship that instead of shipping molasses somewhere else to some other distillery to ferment the stuff, like we can literally do that first pass of column distillation locally Mm -hmm. and then ship it to somewhere else to refine it and do the proper distillation to the right strengths or whatever but essentially it's like a pre-distillation and and then they send it somewhere else that's flemma i had never heard this term before but if you dig around on the cuba ron site you'll find an article referring to it if you start going out like you literally it's like you don't know what you don't know until you get that little thread yeah. that you start pulling and you're like, yeah. oh, well, okay, wow, this is interesting. So that's, I mean, that's one of the traditions that um, that it, it certainly makes sense uh, that, that I learned about while writing the book. And I think very few people uh, know about it. So do you think there are going to be some Cuban rum industry veterans who find find their way to your book and are reading through it and they're just kind of like, what the hell? How did he find out about this? <laughs> it's my hope. Uh, you know, I, you know, Spanish curse. <laughs> there were, there's also, I mean, there's also an element of like, I'm like, I hope there's some Cuban rum veterans who are industry veterans who contact me like, Hey, I love what you're doing. But by the way, here's a list of things you got wrong. Right. Right. Great, fantastic. Tell me what I got wrong. Yeah. So I can go, go correct it. You know, there, there's a certain element, you know, when you put together this many facts across so many countries, like, you know, you're going to get something wrong. You know, you're going to piss off somebody. No, mm-hmm. somebody's going to say that's not right. That's updated. And all you can do is like, thank you for letting me know. And now I can do a second edition where this there is out. 
But this is all like for my own. It's like, I want to know, I, like, well, I want as accurate as information as I get. Sometimes the best way to get accurate information is put wrong information out there and see who responds to it. I know you mentioned, you know, there's sections in the book on rules, regulations. Um, there's uh, information on GIs and things like that. That's obviously a topic that's in, uh, I want to say like the rum news as if there's some sort of like online rum newspaper. The headlines. Um, yeah. yeah, but I, that, that's a topic of conversation because, you know, lots of different countries in recent years have been building on GIs or working on GIs, things like that. And we hear about that a lot. And one, one thing I'm curious about, because, you know, I, I know there's tons of conversation about this in like the tequila and mezcal world of, you know, how effective denominations of origin and things like that are. But I'm curious after everything you've read about the development of GIs, do you have a process for like assessing how effective a GI is or like how as rum consumers will we be able to weigh, you know, the impact of a GI once it's been implemented and accepted by other governments and things like that? Yeah, I and mean, it's a it's a good question. And there is there's a lot that people don't understand about GIs. You know, things like, oh, if the GI says this, that means you can't do that. Do something outside of that. I think you know the the fundamental thing. I will you know I will you know and, and there's been talks like an American. Let's do an American run GI, right? And things like that. And uh, the first the first thing you have to realize is that. GI is fundamentally intellectual property, yeah. um, intellectual property protection. And the first thing you need to say is like, do you have intellectual property? Like, what is like, what is your intellectual property you're protecting? So you can certainly say, you know, Deborah like fit that. That's like a that's a legacy. There's an expectation right. of Deborah uh, Same with Jamaican rum. And I'm not I'm not excluding anybody here. <laughs> the point is, is that you know you could. You know, let's let's imagine that pick a country like Sudan. Like Sudan starts making rum, and we're like, oh, we're gonna have a Sudan rum GI. Like, great, but really nobody is, has this expectation of what Sudan Sudanese rum is. So you can mm -hmm. go do it, but it's you're, it's sort of like if it's not if it's not protecting your rum from people who want to compete based on your name, then it's not terribly useful there. Mm. That's a big part of it. Is is what is it you're protecting? You know, and this is where I say, you know, and I'm friends with many American producers and I'm happy to help them wherever yeah. I can. They're sort of like, well, what, what is American rum? Like, well, you know, it's kind of all over the map. There's all these different things. And if you like, well, we're going to protect all of it. Well, then you're really not protecting, you're not protecting anything. Yeah. 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 And so there's that aspect of it. Uh, like another aspect, like people don't they'll realize is that you like basically any, you know, any country go make a GI, like, like Canada could declare, like, I have a rum GI tomorrow, but it doesn't matter outside of Canada unless yeah. you can get somebody else. Like, yeah, sure. You can control it within your country, but if the EU doesn't recognize it, somebody can go sell a hypothetical Canadian rum in, in Europe and you have no, there's no sort of oversight or authority to stop that. Just like so, with agriculture in the American market. Yeah, ex exactly. It's been happening with agriculture in the American market. Mm -hmm. That where agriculture is protecting, you know, the terminology is protected right. in the EU, but not in America. You know, so that's an aspect, again, that people don't, don't realize. Like Jamaica, like I love Jamaican rum, I will support them, but they have a GI, but that GI is not recognized in the EU yet. And I hope it will be, um, nor is it recognized in the United States. So... Yes, they have a GI, but it's really only legally impacting, you know, their enforcement within Jamaica. Yeah. And then, you know, I think with the context of the Barbados GI, we're not going to get into politics out too much, but 
So you're like, it's been three or four years already. I got it. And you're like, if you if you saw the history of these various TIs, you see, like three years is nothing. That yeah. Martin Meek Martin Meek started the AO or started the process for GI circa nineteen, it's either seventy or seventy six. Yeah, I was going to so say I think it was early, the 70s. It was a mm-hmm. twenty five year process. Wow. Yeah. The, the DR just got a GI. Uh, this year, uh, and that started 2014. So it's been eight years mm-hmm. for the Dominican Republic to get a job. It took, I'm not kidding you, it took Demerara or Diana six years to get a GI. And there's one producer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Six years to get the GI and get it registered in the EU. There's one producer. Yeah. Um, same with Guatemala. So, like, these things take a very long time. And the sort of expectation that, like, well, everybody agrees on this. Like, why can't we have it? Right now, it's just not it's not consistent with history. Oh, and then you have even longer before the other shoe drops, which is convincing other governments to exactly to recognize, recognize yeah. codify, enforce mm-hmm. it, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and the EU and that EU, the EU acceptance is is critical. That so the EU has their own data, like EU. And then the countries in the U.S., particularly France, are very good at this. They have lots and lots and lots of GIs, right. so they very high standards and specific criteria and they have committees that review this stuff and they kick stuff back all the time because they're like no you know like this is this, this is just isn't is it consistent with what we're doing here so you like you can have it locally but if you want it to be recognized in the eu it needs to be consistent with how the eu describes the rules and regulations yeah it, it seems as if the the process we have in the United States is not quite as formalized, a bit more abstract for how you go about getting the government to yeah, uh, yeah. notice sort of, your It's thing. sort of like, yeah, it's kind of like, can you convince the TTB to consider it? And then TTB puts it out for, for um, you know, public approval commentary, or uh, yeah. for public yeah. approval commentary. Yeah. And then nothing. And then they ignore all the commentary. And then like, did yeah. they approve it? Did it not? I don't yeah. know. It's literally it's it's opaque. There's no. There's yeah. Yeah. It's been it's been. I've been halfway paying attention to the whole um, American single malt uh, yeah. thing that's yeah. that's going on. It was really interesting to read some of the the TTV's kind of initial info they put out on that recently and yeah. and that's something that's with, that's with it. it's and that's within the united states that it's coming right. from as well yeah. so right. yeah. exactly yeah. yeah i mean that that's been a multi-year process so yeah so yeah like i'm not i'm not dismissing gis at all i love talking about them i think they're great but again there's a there's a there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of like why can't we just have this? It all seems to make sense, you know, kind of, kind of uh, mentality right now. Going back a little to, you talked a little bit about photos. Um, do you have any favorite photos from this book that just immediately come to mind when you start thinking about them? Like, oh, I can't wait for people to see this. Oh uh, yeah, there's there's a, a lot a lot of river from Grenada. The oh, the, uh, uh, rivers Antoine. Yeah, and, um, no, I mean, I love the River Antoine ones, but no, it's just the pictures of like the sugar beet fields, oh. uh, the, the King Coast stuff. I mean, that, that day I spent going around just like literally we spent the entire day going from King Field to King Field. And, it was and that's just, with Renegade, right? Yeah, and that's with Renegade. Mm-hmm. And the sky was just the perfect blue and the cane was the right size and great green color to it. It was just like, I captured so many, like, like I wanted to have, a whole book of these books and i'm sure they'd be happy if i did that um but you know there was i mean there was a lot of also a lot of tension like a they don't care like 
okay, there's already dozens of cane field photos in this book. How many more do we need? Like, we need more. Other ones like Psalm, brown foam. It's brown foam. I'm like, yes, but this is different brown from here. Here. Can't you see the difference in the brown foam? Like, it's just brown foam. And then she'd want to make it, you know, she'd be like, okay, fine. We're going to use the photo. It's going to go in like a little small square. I'm like, no, it's full page, clearly. I need full page brown foam. Yeah, we have to see the bubble circumference. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And so, yes, there's a full, a few full page photos. But yeah, it was, there are, there are definitely, you know, some pictures where, where some people who have seen the book go like, wow, that's an amazing photo. I'm like, I, you know, I'm proud that I took that. <laughs> and a lot of it was sort of behind the scene. Like I had to teach myself uh, how to really use Lightroom. Like I played around with Lightroom before, but now like, like, um, so at some point and you have neither the images, like editing, beta editing, and like, you know, and you learning as you're going along, by the time you're halfway through, you're like, I'm much better at this. No, I kind of want to go back and start. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm, keep, yeah. No, got to keep going. Yeah, because uh, I'll never finish. Now the next book can be uh, your your personal guide, your how to guide to Adobe Lightroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so so much I learned there, and, and and just you know how do you, how do you manage how do you manage uh, all those photos? How do you right right? You you know, and sort of you know, in the beginning it was like, oh, okay, we're gonna have you know lots of photos, and so you know we get to like. So say Mount Gay was the first chapter or first story she laid out. And there were, I don't know, like 25 photos in there. And at some point we're like, honey, I think we're making the book way too big. And so, you know, over the time, you know, as we went narrow down. Okay, okay, fine. No more than like 10 pictures for the story, unless there's a really great reason. But we still, even then, we had to go back and look at, you know, like, okay, we've got to cut some pages here. Yeah. Uh, and we were able to go back like, okay, fine, take this one out and this one out and kind of balance it out a little bit more. But tracking those photos, who took the photo, what size of the photo, what page does the photo go on, all of that was an enormous amount of effort that I did not uh, estimate. Mm-hmm. It's very different, you know, than writing a blog post. You're like, oh, then grab that photo list. Yeah. And then here... And we're done. Done. Doesn't work out. (laughs) Yeah. So Matt, when we do our research for the show, it seems like inevitably we end up on a cocktail wonk article, and it's a wealth. (laughs) (laughs) It's a wealth of knowledge, and clearly you are one of those people who uh, is leading an effort here on rum knowledge in a lot of ways. I know that there are others, so I I kind of wanted to ask you. Who do you look to as another authority or in awe of regarding knowledge of rum? So the two people who I'm very fortunate to, A, be able to call friends, and B, for very hard to earn and maintain their trust. Uh, one is Vaughn from Worspa, Vaughn Renwell Worspa, mm-hmm. um, who, who knows an incredible amount. He's been doing this job since 2001, dealing with uh, you know, basically a, a member organization with like 30 different distilleries. Mm-hmm. 30, I should know that. Uh, <laughs> but he's incredible and knowledgeable and insightful about rum. Uh, and the other one is uh, is Karsten from Ian yeah. you know, Like Literally, his job to go around and tour the story is to see, like, are we going to buy this rum or, or what have you? So yeah. those are my, you know, th- those are my two sources where, where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to pester them day to day with stuff. I'm going to, I'm like, okay, if I have something very well defined and I know pretty much nobody else is going to have the answer, then I will go to them and say, by the way, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Put in a favor. Yeah. 
<laughs> on that note, you mentioned Vaughn, who's the CEO, right? That's the correct title. Uh, CEO of Worspa. Yeah, yeah, CEO of Worspa. You mentioned earlier that you are uh, the community envoy for Worspa. And I, I wanted to ask, how has working with them kind of changed the way you like, or I guess I shouldn't lead the question. Once you've had the opportunity to work closely with an organization like that, are there things that you see differently about the rum industry as a whole now? Or how has that kind of influenced your thinking? Oh, yeah. I mean, great question. Big thing is that most, most enthusiasts, you know, are, you know, at least when you're starting out, you're going to focus on I, what rum do I like? Like what bottles do I want to have? Yeah. A, and maybe how those bottles are made. You don't really need to think about the business of rum. You don't really think about, you know, is this producer going to survive or are they viable? Like maybe I'll have this rum, but will they be here two years from now because yeah. they went under? So working with Forspa is sort of like, is, is like literally behind the scenes that like you literally sort of like, you know, the wizard, you know, we'll say the wizard <laughs> of Oz, but literally you go behind you like, oh, I see so much more about the rum industry and can connect the dots that nobody that I didn't even know existed. But you, you think you, you hear it about things like, oh, you know, right now there's serious molasses shortage and yeah. the stories are having to, to, you know, sometimes can't get enough molasses and you're like, oh, groups of them are collaborating together to do a group buy a molasses to ensure, you know, face a big enough order to where they can get it and figure out where they can store it. Another, another thing is, for example, we started, we've seen a little bit of this, but it hasn't made a whole lot of news is that the World Health Organization has basically made suggestions that basically, basically like all, all drinking whatsoever should be discouraged and yeah. I'm, we're simplifying it but basically suggesting everybody's like basically like you should kind of treat alcohol the way you're treating like tobacco like seriously discourage it put put like graphic images and label like this what happens and like literally around the world all these different spirit producer organizations are like no 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 that's a little too draconian let us like we know our market well let us figure out how to target the worst mm. issues mm-hmm. rather than have these sort of like blanket one size fits all mm-hmm. and so all of these producers you know be it whiskey producers or or, or branding producers they're all sort of like hold on back up here we need to think about this and you know, show that we can self-regulate more effectively uh and that's something that we're spending it's the responsible drinking initiative has been sort of leading that within the Caribbean rum space. Mm. Like, hey, this is important. This I will be impacted from this. Another great example I just learned about recently is there's an initiative in the from uh basically the you know Caribbean the CARICOM, the organization of Caribbean countries, mm-hmm. yeah. to put basically to encourage like stop importing so much stuff, like use locally made products. And amongst those things like, oh yeah, it should be using locally made glass. Like why are you know why are you why are you importing glass bottles? You mm-hmm. can use local local Caribbean made glass, which sounds like a good idea. Except the Caribbean only has one glass factory. Yeah, that one glass factory is Trinidad and doesn't make sort of the super high end nice bottles. And so you know this organization is, is pushing this sort of idea through of like let's let's basically jack up taxes on imported bottles so that you'll you know. Caribbean countries will use their locally made glass. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the Caribbean producers who are using premium glass are like, we a, a we can't get enough glass from this factory. B, like it's not the quality we need them to be. And so again, we're supposed to sort of working, mm-hmm. working 
sort of like as the representative of these Caribbean, you know, rum makers to say like, Hey, we, we have a you know, particular special need here. We have other ways we can help solve this or we can make progress on, on that issue. But you will, you will basically kill us if you, if we, it's just implemented like that. So, I mean, big picture is, you know, you see, you see much more of the behind the scenes uh, challenges that the rum producers face and how and how they work around them or how they collectively work together on them. Do you ever, you, you mentioned the molasses shortage. Do you ever worry about molasses? Um, I mean, you know, it doesn't wake me up at night, but, <laughs> but yeah. Is, every um, now and then, you know, I hear producers talk about it and, you know, you just think big picture, you know, the, the way the sugar industry goes, their mission is not to make molasses. And sometimes I just, you know, I worry a little bit about yeah. the future I mean, of molasses I mean, rum. Yeah. I mean, that's what something, that's a theme I've started pushing lately. And there's actually a, a part of the chapter in the book. There's like a sort of looking forward chapter and I talked about this in Miami at Rome Congress is essentially change as, you know, you could, if you had to put it in one line, it would be cane juice is the future of rum. Yeah. It's not so much that all rum producers are going to start using cane juice, but we need is that the Caribbean in particular needs to sort of get away, start moving away from this model of like, we depend on our locally made molasses supply, which is readily available and so inexpensive that it's not a big deal. Basically, that's no longer true. That, yeah. that we that no that some no other spirit category uses the the after or the byproduct of some other process. Right. That if you're growing wheat to make to make a uh, you know to make a a, a, a whiskey, then a hundred percent of that wheat's material goes into making whiskey. And if you're making growing grapes to make brandy, a hundred percent of that grape juice yeah. goes making brandy. It's only rum that's sort of like we grow the sugar and then we take out eighty-five percent of the sugar to sell as table sugar and make the remaining fifteen percent. They like, well, this is what we're gonna make from from. Right. Like we need to get away from that mindset, that model. And so even if you're not gonna make rum from cane juice, you can at least grow the sugar and don't devote all of that to making rum. And so you're mm -hmm. seeing that. Uh, for example, um, cane syrup, like you can, you know, even if you don't have to use molasses, you can use cane syrup. You can literally mix cane juice, remove enough water to where it's stable yeah. and then distill year round. Uh, so, so even then, yeah, again, you can make a molasses rum to cane syrup, but again, you're using a hundred percent of the sugar for making rum. And that's one, one place where I'd say Spanish heritage countries are, are, way ahead of like the English, you know, the English heritage countries, mm. you know, the, you know, the you know, Barbados, Jamaica, Trinidad, Guyana, you know, they have, you know, some of them have some industry, but you know, Barbados, the Barbados molasses, Barbados sugar industry can't yet supply enough Barbados yeah. molasses mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. rum making. Same with Guyana is having to import molasses. Jamaica is having to import a lot of molasses. Whereas you get into like, you know, Panama, Venezuela, wherever, Dominican Republic, I think even, they they are like we grow sugar to make just rum, and so and so they don't have this problem. Like mm. they they they're not necessarily making cane juice rum, but they're making it into into cane syrup and storing it like molasses. And so mm. I think we're gonna you know more and more we're gonna see producers you know at least the big producers saying we need to be in control of more of our source material pipeline. Right. Right. It's, we can no longer just depend that we can call up EDNS Man or some other molasses broker yeah. and expect that a quality molasses will arrive 
you know, at, at the time frame we need it. So yeah. I think that's going to be, you know, I'm not saying all rum is going to be cut cane juice in 10 years, but I'm saying the industry is starting to shift towards all the cane going to rum. And I think the fact that we're seeing prices rise in rum sort of is making that viable. That is sort mm-hmm. of like, finally, the rum we can make from the sugar cane is more valuable than the table sugar. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. It's an economic change. This is a big, big picture thought right. that I'm starting to put out there. Well, speaking of prognostication, um, (laughs) you sat down with the Rum Lab, I think it was September of 2015, and you answered their classic question, where do you see the rum industry five years from now? Oh my. Yeah. (laughs) You said uh, that you felt rum was at a crossroads then, and the quote, the question is, will good, honest rum be able to convey their story so that consumers demand them, or will mass-produced, adulterated rums crowd them out? End quote. So it's seven years later. Do you think we're in a different place or are we still stuck at that intersection? I, w- I wish I could answer differently, but I still think, yeah, we are at that. We're still at that intersection. I think, you know, we, we have made progress towards more people wanting and demanding good rum. Mm-hmm. We have far more choices now versus 2015. If you look at all the crazy and kind of bottled rums and the Forecast depressions, all that kind of stuff. We're definitely made a lot of progress there and having a much greater variety of good rums. However, you know, I think there, you know, we're, we're still seeing a lot of, there's a lot of education left to do because there's still a lot of rums that, you know, they won't need name, but we can name, we can think of who they are, who are selling more of a story and a vision mm-hmm. rather than, you know, a, you know, a, you know, a tall tale and some, you know, some, too much sweetening and flavoring or whatever, and not really making an honest rum. And I think there's a lot of challenges there is that, is that there are people who may, maybe a little bit of sweetening, a little bit of flavoring or whatever is part of their tradition that goes back a hundred years. And that's very different from like, Hey, never did this before, but we can buy these seven chemicals and throw in the rum and sell it. You know, there's a difference there. It's, it's, it's not a black and white issue. It's shades gray and i think that's hard for people to to understand especially if they're new coming into the space so i, w- I wish i could give a better better you know better <laughs> answer yeah that we're past that crossroads yeah. but i still think you know as rum popular goes up you're going to get more people like wanting to take advantage of the popularity right, yeah. so. uh, well to your point there might be a little bit more gray now than there was before Mm-hmm. And, and by that, I mean, you know, it's not as quite black and white. I think there is a little bit more of a spectrum now, but that is a good thing that people are maybe hopefully, as you said, shifting towards what we want to see in the market and more honest rum. So, yeah. And I think, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of what I do. A lot of my writing is trying to like, you know, word as much as I can, put it out there, educate people so that mm-hmm. those people can in turn educate more people to like, at least what questions do you want to ask? What, what, what are you seeking out here mm-hmm. instead of just depending on what the producer says? Yeah. yeah. You know, when, when you were just talking about uh, your involvement with Worspa and kind of seeing behind the curtain and everything being in the background, you've got all that going on. You, you've got this other side of things where you're working on the book, you're doing all this research. And, you know, if we go back to the beginning of what got you into this, it was just like the pure enjoyment of rum. And so I, I wanted to ask a little bit of just, you know, in terms of just pure enjoyment for you right now, like, what do you find yourself reaching for uh, when you just, you know, you're not trying to be overly analytical about rum, uh, you just like want something tasty to relax with? Is there a certain category? Like, I kind of go through phases personally with that. Um, mm-hmm. 
is there a particular category right now or maybe an individual distillery or specific bottles that you find yourself reaching for a lot lately? Like what has your attention right now? That's a, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I'm very fortunate that, um, and I, in which the viewers can't or the listeners can't see this, but I, you know, I have my entire rum collection. You've got options. Like eight feet of me <laughs> uh, in my office. <laughs> so sometimes I'll be like, hey, I want to sip on something. I literally pivot in my chair and go like, what do I feel like? And this is hard. It's just very sort of gut feel. I was like, this, you know, in a habit. <laughs> um, there's not, you know, it's, if I feel like I'm not saying I've had every rum ever known to man, but I feel like I'm pretty grasp, good grasp on, on the styles of rum and what yeah. they're going to like. And so I, I'm not like, oh, okay, right now I'm in a Chimitian phase or right now I'm in a Haitian rum phase. A lot of it, it just happens to be like, okay, what bottles arrived most recently? Okay, I want to try them before I put them on the shelf and forget about them. Right, right. So it happens right now. That happens to be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, probably 15 bottles on my desk that are like calling me like, open me now, try me now. Um, I will say, and you know, my surprise people is is like, I love, you know, I love Jamaican rum. I love Demerara rum. I love Port Morant. Uh, I'd love to age agricoles and equitable blocks, but sometimes, uh, and, and Mrs. Woff carries the same way. Sometimes it's like a good, good Spanish heritage from, you know, it's not, I don't have to wrestle with it. And sometimes yeah. just good. Sometimes, right. you know, some Don mm-hmm. two or like a Picardi 10, or like I've got some lovely Botran on my desk right now. Sometimes I just want something that's like, I can enjoy it and I know it for what it is. And, you know, and it's fine. You know, yeah. like I, I think of all the rooms is like my children. Like I love them all. It's not like, well, you're <laughs> my child or whatever. Like I love them all. Uh, and but I will I, drink I, you I, tonight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, you know, like you said, I, you know, if I, it, you know, I certainly love the Jamaicans. It's one of the, uh, Interesting thing is is the 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 long pond ITP fifteen the one from Long Pond is polarizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some people say it's too expensive and it should be higher strength. And yeah. I wish it were higher strength. But like I love that. Like that that Rob is sort of like is a Jamaican that has everything I want of Jamaican. But like, again, I don't need to wrestle with it. Yeah. Uh, to enjoy it. Um, and you know, I also love to put my the Port Morons. Like like there's something about the Port Morant notes. Yeah. Uh, that you know the 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 you know the, the single cast port morons and I still need to get the single cast port morons. And you said cast straight port morons, but I'm like I'm just that someday have port morons. It's, it's just a happy happy rum, and I and I know this sort of like some of it's like Royal Navy, like that's the that's the the rum that the Royal Navy was buying. And I have the records of that. Right, right. Now Long Pond ITP is a good one where. Uh, the, the bottle for me recently that I really, that became one of those rums that I could just like enjoy it at any time was the one that Impex did. They did a 13 year ITP and, um, that one was really in the sweet spot for me. Well, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you. Oh yeah. Um, obviously you've traveled to tons of these places in the book, but I assume there are some places that you have not gotten to yet. So I wanted to ask a two part question, which is one, what is the number one location you haven't been to yet that is mm. at the top of your list of where you want to go? And then part two of the question is, of all the places you've already been, what's at the top of your list of where you want to go back to? Like if you could immediately transport yourself to one place you've already been, what would it be? And then the new place you've never been to, what would it be? So I'll answer them in reverse order. Um, I've only been to Guadalupe for a short time. Okay. But- 
I just know it is, it just looks magical. Uh, and there's so many of the stories there. I think that's the, the one, the chapter in the book that has the most stories in it. Like I want to go, just go hang out in Guadalupe for several, several weeks and yeah. just see it all. It kills me. Like I have great photos of it. And then there was that group that I went to Guadalupe, like 150 people were Guadalupe a couple months ago. And I'm like, it kills me. I want to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because I, I just now have a much better understanding of it. Than yeah. started. In terms of where I've yet to been, oh, God. Uh, you know, I've been, you know, I've been to the, you know, the, the biggest ones that, you know, I've knocked off, you know, Barbados, Jamaica, Trinidad, Guyana, um, you know, the friendship, you know, covered that. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of limiting it to the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Have you um, been to St. Lucia yet? Uh, I've been to St. Lucia. Okay. St. Lucia. I think that, believe it or not, I would, what I would really love to do is where, where the biggest gap I have is have, having been to, you know, Puerto Rico and Cuba, I certainly have a good, I think a good grasp of that style, mm-hmm. but I've yet to be anywhere in like Central America or, or like South America. So like mm-hmm. Venezuela, Panama, Nicaragua, Guatemala, I am like, at some point we're just going to figure out how to get me down there and we're just going to, you know, travel the Pan American highway or something and like really go, go see all of them. There like, you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of the photos from, from Florida Kong and the volcano are just stunning. Mm. Like, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, it sounds crazy, but, but yeah, I actually, I want to, you know, understand that style better and be able to compare and contrast it against, against Puerto Rico and Cuba. Yeah. And I would like to actually love to return to Cuba and see more of it because I even you know very few people make it to Cuba and are able to see something. Right and now, I know now I know I saw one very small slice of it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there's certainly no wrong answer to that question. Speaking of questions to which there are no wrong answers, <laughs> um, we've come to the point of the interview where we transition to a tradition on the Rumcast, which is the rapid fire round of questions, um, which I warned you about in advance. You were not given the questions in advance, however, so <laughs> these will come as a, as a surprise. Have you prepared yourself for this? Are you mentally ready? Are you in a good space to think on your feet and go quickly? I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Bring it on. All right. Jumping in. He's like, yeah, let's do it. So I, yeah, basically I'm going to put 60 seconds and John's going to take you through as many of these as he can get you through. Give me a go, Will. Let's do this. All right. 60 seconds and go. All right. Need or on the rocks? Need. Column, pot, or blend? Pot. Molasses or cane juice? Ooh, tough one. Uh, I love them both, so. It's a tough uh, one. I can't pick. All right. Aged or unaged? Oh, I'll end up one. Um, age. Okay. <laughs> With the disappointment. Like, yeah, answer. it's like you're sad about age. age. <laughs> Your current favorite rum distillery. Oh, Lord. That's about uh, DDR. Okay. Nice. Windows 95 or Windows 98, Matt? <laughs> 95. <laughs> Gotta be 95. It's a classic. <laughs> it's a classic. Yeah. All right. Is it true, Matt, that you registered the web domain mocktailwonk.com just in case you ever decide to quit drinking? <laughs> Uh, no, but now I'm going to go do that. <laughs> get, get the domain name now. <laughs> I, I, I have a few, a few interesting domain names if you know where to look. <laughs> oh, all right. Name someone you could sit and talk deep rum stuff with for hours, other than us, of course. Uh, yeah. Oh, sure. Um, Sean Caleb, I could certainly talk with for hours, mm. but um, I just love uh, John George's from, from Trinidad. Like his uh, voice. Yeah. And he has the wisdom and the inside. So like, friendly. I've only yeah. met him briefly online a couple of times and he was so nice. He's like, yeah. And he's so knowledgeable. And like, they want somebody who has that perspective. You can talk 
technology and rum making, but also a history of it. Stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, two people we need to get on the podcast. That's right. Yeah. All right, well, you're m- move it along, John. All right, oh, all right. God, I don't even know. I don't. I don't know who has. Like, I feel like I'm the last person I know of on <laughs> this podcast. I don't know there are more. There are more. The most underrated rum cocktail. Uh, underrated. Oh god. Uh, oh, what's still? I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. Hotel. Uh, Hotel Why it's National. so underrated. Oh yeah, Hotel National. Okay, oh, yeah, that's a good one. And finally, you travel a ton and have an extensive software engineering background. Is the cocktail wonk persona actually just a cover for you to secretly operate as an international hacker or spy for the NSA? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, my next question was, if it were the case, would you tell us? But clearly you answered that as well. So, so you just blew your cover and that's yeah. time. So I did. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we almost called time before you revealed your true identity. But unfortunately, now the, the world knows the truth. Oh, well, uh, I found more wrong. Enjoy it. Well, yeah. Matt, uh, we made it to the end. Um, obviously, we're going to share with people in the show notes links where they can find the book and everything. Is it, do you do you want to share a preferred method for people to find the book to order the book? How do they get it? Uh, so we haven't exactly figured out precisely out yet, but definitely like we have we have uh, a domain name based upon the title. Um, okay. and, uh, but the book will actually be on Shopify. So at some point. What you'll see is our Shopify store will at some point going from looking from saying minimalist tiki, it'll be like. Here's our books. Minimalist there you go. Product, mm-hmm. it up. So the the website now has already been renamed. So if you go to Wonk Press right now, it will look like Minimalist Tiki did before, but at some point Wonk Press, it's now Wonk Press is the site and it will soon have a second book. And then uh, hopefully in not too longer, I'll have books number three and four, but we can't talk about those yet. I'm assuming you have ideas for those, maybe outlines. Uh, they don't, they're, they're maybe not even something I've written. So, uh, uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. We have, we have some things up our sleeves. So, okay. Very cool. exciting. Um, yeah. we'll have to check back in on that. Uh, well, before we go, uh, we talked about a lot of stuff. Is there anything we didn't get to anything else you want to share with the people out there? No, the only, the only thing I forgot to mention this is also we're sort of rebrand, not rebranding. We're, we're extending the branding. So basically going forward. Uh, there'll be cocktail walk, rum walk, and walk press. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> but basically walk, walk press is the publishing company. Uh, and Terry will head more of that. Uh, cocktail walk. will see, we'll see more of, um, my cocktail related content, obviously, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's where people still go there more for cocktail stuff that, you know, the tiki stuff outperforms the rum stuff. Uh, but then rum walk is, you know, there's already, there's been a rum walk Instagram for a while there. It's out there. Um, but forgot to mention uh and i'm not promoting it yet but i think by the time we publish this or put this off it'll be i'll be talking about this uh so i have the sub stack as well oh um, really up stack <laughs> and so you know the sub stack will be you know rum off with that feature uh but the sub stack is essentially like okay i i don't need i will no longer be able need to be able to point people like go read this article on, on cocktail on it'll be like modern trivia rock page 34 right. or whatever Mm-hmm. And so with the Substack, I can t- do rummy <laughs> topics. Um, assuming like, okay, if you're if you subscribe to this, you must like rums. So I don't need to explain it quite as much. Right, so I right. can sort of like really go into you know quickly get into sort of like newsy topics or or news topics or or history or whatever. Like literally like whatever my brain wants to put out there, and I don't want to have to do like an epic. 2000 word cocktail yeah. post is sort of like Just quickly write it up, send it. Yeah. To people. Yeah. Quickly, quickly get it down. So like, for example, I've, I've already done deep dive on, um, 
the history of 151 is different than Lance's history of 151, but also why 151. We actually do have a, you know, definition, uh, and it's sort of like the prehistory of 151, that kind of stuff. Or it's like, yeah. oh, it's kind of fun. I researched some stuff. I learned some stuff. Write it, put it up there, not super formal, uh, and hopefully do, do a faster pace with, with a wide variety of topics instead of yeah. cocktail off the like, Here's seven thousand words on never the store. So this is like the 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 Wonk extended universe, like the MCU, <laughs> but it's 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 your stuff. The Wonk universe, I yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so yeah. So like I said, we're like I said, we're sort of splitting up. It was finally time, and I you know, I'll be honest, I felt you know, for like as I gain more respect, rumping in search or whatever, yeah. and like. Yeah, so you know, we talked to you about this. You're like, by the way, I'm cocktail walk. It's sort of there's a little bit of a disconnect there. So yeah, like, yeah. embrace the rum side of it as well. So there you go. Yeah, this is why I love the rum cast. This is why I wanted <laughs> you guys to to get sort of like the first interview because you, you do such a great job covering it without being overly. Well, so you 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 were part of setting the standard for in depth rum content, content. so mm -hmm. yeah we we aspire to do the same uh in yeah. our own way here on the rumpcast thank you um, no, well awesome everyone go check out matt's book uh i know i'm really looking forward to getting my hands on it matt shared a, a pdf of select pages with me and the, i mean the the photos are truly amazing and i know the content is going to be even better so i'm really excited to dig into it and thanks again for for joining us and taking us behind the scenes matt yeah, well, thank you. It's my pleasure to, to be here and, and uh, always good to talk with you guys. All right, everyone. Thank you again for listening. As we said, please do go check out Matt's new book, Modern Caribbean Rum. We'll have links to that in the show notes where you can order it and buy it. And, you know, as, as we covered in the show, it's all self-published and everything. Yeah. So when you buy it, you know, that money is going directly uh, to the people who had a hand in actually creating it, which is really cool. So we'll put up links to that. If you have any questions for us, as always, we'd love to hear from you at host at rumcast.com. You can email us there, or you can also find us on social media. John, where, where can they find us? Yeah, we're all over social media, all over the interwebs at uh, Instagram at the rumcast. We're also on Facebook, the rumcast and Twitter. We, we don't do as much on Twitter. I'm going to be honest, but we're there. We're there. We still post, you know, our episode releases. Um, but if you're really trying to get a hold of us uh, through social media and direct message uh, on Facebook or Instagram, that's fine also. And we will we will get to those as soon as we can. Uh, and also, uh, if you like what you're hearing, if you're interested in, in hearing more, of course, you can join our Patreon effort. So uh, right. we, we ha do have the Patreon effort going. Patreon.com forward slash the Rumcast. Uh, is that right? I think you said for forward slash. Forward slash. Is that <laughs> like a vestigial? Know. I don't yeah. even know if it's forward slash or backslash, um, but you know, it's the slash you use in in, in web addresses. <laughs> it's one of the two slashes. Just yeah. try both, and if one works, there you go. Uh, yeah, it, it's one of the slashes. Yeah. Yeah. P a t r e o n dot com slash the rumcast. We're doing monthly happy hours. We're doing bonus episodes and and fun stuff like that. So if you want more, if you want to support the show, that's the place to do it. And you know, it's. I was thinking about this earlier. If you're still listening, um, I don't know how long into the outro people generally listen but one thought you know it's getting to be the end of the year I, I don't know about you john but i'm starting to go through and trying to you know write down some of the more notable rums mm -hmm. i've had throughout the year i'm trying to prepare for the whole end of year 
episode we do. And I'd love to hear from all the listeners out there, what are some of the most memorable rums you were able to try this year in terms of what's really stood out to you? It can be new, it can be something that's old that you just had for the first time. Would love to hear stories about that. So if you'd like to share, yeah, feel free to message us on any of the social platforms or send us an email at host at rumcast.com. It'd be great to hear that stuff. But John, uh, I think that'll about do it for this episode. What do you say? Is it, is yeah. it time to call, call call this one done? I think we, we, we will see everybody in two weeks and uh, or hear everybody in two yeah. weeks. No, we uh-huh. don't even hear them because we just talk <laughs> they, they and they us. listen. We we will see you listen in two weeks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like we're watching them in their homes. <laughs> oh, All right, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much again. And, and uh, you'll hear from us in two weeks time. That's good. <laughs> Wait, I got one more thing. I got one more thing. You have to you have to record again just in case. Okay. So Matt, I every time I see your name, I I think to myself Star Trek because your an, your your name ends in Trek. Are you a Trekkie by any chance? Um not really. I mean, I, I think I've watched <laughs> oh, all the original episodes. Darn. John's so disappointed no. right now. But but you know what? Here's how I want people people to chance spell my name. I said Pi Trek. I love pies. I'm always on the trek to the next pie. So. <laughs> All right. Well, this is totally not going to work for you then, but I'm still going to tell you because I spent so much time on it that I think a great intro for your 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 website, you could put this on there, would be the following. You ready for it? Okay. Ready. It goes like this. It's rum, the final spirit frontier. <laughs> These are the voyages of the cocktail wonk. I like his- it. His continuing mission to explore strange new rums, to seek out new distilleries and new sugarcane varietals, to boldly write with an incredible amount of detail about rum things <laughs> that no one has ever done before. I Matt, love it. Pie trick. Is that supposed to <laughs> is that supposed to mirror something from, from Star Trek that we're supposed Are to recognize? Are you serious right now? <laughs> really? Wow! Oh I didn't my. watch Star Trek. Am oh I my. the only Trekkie? Oh, you guys. Oh well. Yeah.